0: Welcome to the Infinity Loop, where we explore infinite possibilities to grow, heal, and change for ourselves and the world through connection, awareness, and inquiry. This is episode 007. I'm your host, Krista Vorse. Today I get to have my first podcast with a guest, and it's none other than the beautiful, brilliant, gifted, and heart-centered Krista Holland. Yes, she has the same name, spelt the same way, and my last name, Vorse, is Dutch. And one of us is really good at yoga. I'm getting to sit with Krista in her home in Ashland, Oregon, a few days before I will be departing Ashland, after my 12-year stint living here. I'll be making my new home in Santa Barbara, California, where Krista just so happens was born. When I was first planning to start a podcast and I wanted to have guests on regularly, I thought of Krista Holland and her many disciplines and studies and how she weaves them into her own teaching and coaching business. It's from yoga to philosophy to live a fully embodied life. I want you to go to KristaHolland.com where she has yoga and living arts sacred drumming, and her offerings that she does not only in Ashland, but in different parts of the world where you can join her. Krista's into beekeeping, and she mentioned that has something to do with the infinity loop. She leads trips to Greece, and that piqued my interest in the gifts Western culture has for us. I love this because of inquiry and Socrates' dialogue and problem solving. I'm going to stop talking for her now and let her talk but it's with great joy I introduce you to Krista Holland. Krista, take us back to where it all began for you of how you were really living your vocation in the world today.
1: Twenty-some years ago I was living in Los Angeles and I started reading a lot about what was happening environmentally at the time and it was really a contrast to be living in this urban environment My husband and I bought a house, and it ended up being that we bought, really, a fixer-upper. And we didn't necessarily think about it at the time, but it was really sort of in shambles. And right at the same time that we bought this house, my paternal grandfather passed away, and I was bequeathed all of his really well-honed gardening tools. And it ended up that I became deeply immersed in the land in the middle of this urban jungle, really, you could say. I found that I had this really deep love affair with growing plants, and I went on to learn landscape design, and then also my husband and I went on to become certified in permaculture, which is a word that really speaks about what is permanent culture. How do we create culture on many different levels? So I became very interested in this practice of being with the plants and, and being with the land. And at the same time, I had a mentor that was teaching me about essential oils and plant medicines and things like that. What happened was I started to formulate what I called at the time a conscious life design. And this image came to me of the mandala and the mandala is something that is used both in Buddhist meditative techniques and also in yogic techniques Though we call mandala a yantra and what it is is really a geometrical symbol or sacred geometrical symbol that is basically a flower. The idea is that the flower has many different petals and colors and it speaks to how life is inherently diverse and has a lot of different layers and colors to it. So what I did was I used this symbol of the mandala to test a theory. And the theory was about how great a hand do we have in designing our lives. Mm. That's sort of how I got started really on my vocation, actually. And because I wasn't trained in modern academia, and I didn't go down that road, I knew that I would need to self-educate. Mm-hmm. And so what I did instead was I found powerful mentors that I studied with. And I also am very autodidactic, so I am self-studied, and I am really in independent researcher and really passionate about reading and learning and studying and going deep into different disciplines. So I started really practicing as well, not just practice, not just the uh, research, but also the practicum of different practices and yoga being a main one, which I was introduced early on through my mother. And then as I mentioned, landscape design, urban gardening, permaculture, and then I met a teacher that brought to me the practice of what is called sacred drumming. How long ago was that? So I met my teacher, Lane Redmond. She is the author or, of When the Women Were Drummers, and she has since passed. But I met her when I was about
0: maybe 18 years ago or so. Oh, okay. So, yeah. yeah. I love what you were saying about the whole culture because I wanted to interrupt you, but I didn't yeah. want to interrupt you because so many problems. If you want to look in companies or families, it's, it goes back to the culture. So that's fascinating to tie that in with permaculture. Okay, so your work is in your coaching, in your teaching, and all the different things that you offer in the world is around what you call these living arts, right? How do you, how much control do we have over all the different can I say the parts of the mandala? Yeah. Or the facets of our the, lives. The, the facets of our lives. Tell me where I'm if I'm off on this and how that they're embodied. Yeah. Would you say how we embody this? Because that's in yes. so much of the gifts. I mean, I've sat in your yoga classes and it just goes so deep of the integration and the embodiment and the wisdom in all of that. Mind, body, heart, yeah. spirit.
1: Well, I I got inspired by this question, and I've asked myself this again and again. It was the formative question, how do I live in these times? How do I live in these times? And how do we live in these times? I was born in the 60s, you know, went through the 70s, the tumultuous growing up in Los Angeles in the 80s, which is a whole other story. We grew up knowing that we were going to be living through environmental crisis, living through more chaotic political environments. We already knew this because there have been so many teachers and thought leaders that have already told us that these times would be difficult. And when I started reading about the environment, especially, that was what sparked this question. So now that I know this, now that I know that the waters are being polluted and the air, and well, how do I then build a livelihood knowing this? Mm. And so I really use that as a formative question, and it really took me back to, well, how did people live in the past, and where did culture begin, and what is culture, and how do culture and nature relate to each other? And so it's something that I contemplate again and again, nature and culture, nature and culture. Are they harmonious? Do they weave together? Do we have to emphasize one over the other? And so what that question, where it led me actually, was very, very far back into the beginnings of culture. And so I have studied these ancient cultures mainly in India, the Saraswati River Basin cultures of mohenjo daro Harappa, and the ancient cultures of Greece and Turkey, which was Anatolia, Karachoyuk, And it turns out that these cultures were goddess-based cultures, Mm -hmm. revering the goddess, Mm -hmm. and that there was a strong feminine component to
0: the way in which the cultures were formulated originally. We were talking about the divine feminine and how that has been so suppressed in our culture. And what's happening, thankfully, is the awareness that like enough is enough and it's time for the rising of the Divine Feminine and what does that look like in us and in our culture. If you look back, if you go far enough back there's a
1: belief that women were the first potters and weavers and even the first agriculturists and seed savers and sometimes I really use my imagination and I go back to those times and I imagine and even we don't have to go so far back to how women were relating with each other around the hearth and with the children and often in circle and red tent and mm-hmm. these different ways of women gathering and often we were really using our hands, and our hands were, in a sense, of course, the first tool that we used in order to create culture really out of the soil and out of the threads and weaving things together, and that tactile relationship that we had with nature, and also ancient humans were really living, really connected, of course, to the environment and especially the elements. So the earth, the water, the fire, and how air, all of it. Mm -hmm. We were living in open-aired places and living around the fire. And so culture really sprang out of our connection to the elements. As we moved from gathering and hunting and into more sedentary culture, which was often s- formulated around these beliefs of the grain goddess and different archetypes of the feminine. So, if we look into the archaeological history, especially symbolically, this is often pre literature, primal,
0: oral tradition. oral tradition, the oral. ear to
1: mouth and around the circle, around the fire. It was pre having been written down. Yeah. So, what we look at is we actually look at the symbols and we look at the art that's left behind. We look at the funerary goods. And if we look to that, then we find an immense catalog of revering the feminine. Literally these goddess traditions. Mm. And the interesting thing about when we look at goddess traditions is that we will inherently be entering into multiplicity, diversity. The goddess, the feminine represents in a sense even more than anything else this Quintessential aspect is that the feminine is multifarious. She has many, many faces, mm-hmm. many incarnations all over the world in the, its ancient times. We're talking 68 BCE and back, 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 40,000 years, even pre culture first art around the planet is vulva it's a symbol of the feminine and then when we go into the sedentary cultures the agricultural cultures then there's still the reverence of the feminine and she shows up in these different archetypes around harvest and grain and all of the elements really We can look to that, not that we're trying to go back or repeat the history or go back to this archaic time or anything like that, but the symbology can really inform
0: our modern understanding. This is great, because you were saying before we started how your question was really, what does it mean to be feminine?
1: Well, that was the other question, the, the question about how do we live in these times? And even further back, I'm glad you mentioned that, was this feeling from the time I was a very young girl, and I know so many women and those that identify feminine can relate to this feeling of what is the feminine? I mean, this was before, just, it just was a natural thing that was arising in me from the time I was so young. When I then started to have to, again, move into a livelihood, I felt, in a sense, conflicted about how I would really be in a feminine experience in this particular lifetime and make a livelihood in what is still a patriarchal culture. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. So you felt like almost like the challenge? Yeah. Was that what you were sort of like, whoa, this is challenging?
1: Yes. I knew it was... I, yeah. I felt it was going to be challenging. Yeah. yeah. Because I had been studying about these ancient cultures, and in a sense, I really wanted to live like that. I wanted yeah. to be in a circle with women. I wanted to be
0: using my hands. So I have a question. Did this give you... I, I, I want to use the word self-esteem, but did it give you a... A grounding of really feeling great about being a woman like wow being a woman being a goddess is like rocking or was it conflicted even in that going I feel that's true but I'm conflicted in this world because this society isn't making that it's hard for me to walk in that like I wish I had that growing up when I was younger like I could go wow that I had connection to this goddess I didn't. I was aware that life would have been better for me if I was a boy. <laughs> yeah, I've heard so many women say
1: that. For some reason, my experience of it was that I really absolutely loved being embodied as a woman in this lifetime. And yeah. because I don't know about other lifetimes or not, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm sorry, I don't really know. Yeah. But 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 I but that concept of that there could be many right. lifetimes I felt like wow, I get to be in a feminine body, a female body in this lifetime. And I absolutely was thrilled about it. Yeah. And I've always felt so deeply connected to what is the feminine essence? I
0: think I can relate to that. Yeah.
1: I so I loved it. Yeah. I absolutely loved it and I and I still do love it. And and everything that's connected with that. And I wanted to learn more about what that had been in the past and how to embody it in the present and what that would look like also being in this world. And that's the part where there was the rub. It's not been a very welcoming or safe place for a woman in yeah. in many places around the world for thousands of years actually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I felt that too, and reading historically about the suppression and oppression of women, that has definitely informed my comfort and worldview.
0: Yeah. So how did sacred drumming come in for you? Was that through sort of the the feminine, very focused on what other women were doing, or was it coming in through yoga? Well, the drumming came in, it's just kind of a silly
1: story, and I tell it now and again, so some of my students and people have heard this before, but I had gotten a job when I was maybe, I don't know, 18 or 19, and I was living with a kind of a communal household of some really wonderful people, and it happened to be that I could walk home for lunch to my house. And my roommates had gone out of town, so being a young woman of that era, I decided I was going to have like a week-long party, and I invited a band. We took out the furniture of the living room, and my boyfriend at the time came over and set up his drum set and left it there. Well, when I came home from lunch one day, I saw that drum set sitting there, and I looked at it, and I thought, without really thinking, sat down behind it, picked up the sticks, and started banging on this drum set. Well, he happened... My boyfriend happened to come in the room unannounced and saw me, kind of like, you know, was surprised. I was putting the drumsticks away and he said, don't stop in in this just powerful moment in time. And it's like there's two roads. I was at the crossroad and something about that was such a beautiful affirmation for me and it triggered something and I followed it and I actually ended up getting a drum set. Some friends of mine found one at a garage sale and brought it over because they knew I was interested. So I went from trap set, literally playing the drum set. What was the contrast was I thought this is the most masculine instrument that there's got to be. Why am I doing this? And it was really a pronounced contemplation. It's like, why am I picking the drum set when it's so masculine? And it's an albatross. You know, you've got to take down the hi-hat and the thing. You've got to always have a big car or truck to put it in. So I did follow that path for many years. And I never really got as good as I felt like I could get. But I used to do this twirling with my fingers. And I had this feeling that there was something else about the drum that didn't include these sticks. So then I went to the kungas, I went to the bongos, I went to the djembe, I did drum back all this stuff. One day I'm in, I'm in the co-op in Santa Monica, California, and I walk in and I see a flyer and it says "When the Drummers Were Women," and it stopped me in my tracks. So I, again, one of those quintessential moments. That, the drummers were women. What is this about? And it had this picture of this beautiful woman with this type of drum that I had never seen. And I knew immediately, I said, that's for me. I have to go and see that. So I went and I signed up for the workshop in the Marina Del Rey. And Lane Redmond was there with her partner at the time, Tommy B. And they played this syncopated rhythm on these frame drums that absolutely blew me away. Then she went on to show a slideshow of hundreds of images of women from the ancient world holding these drums. And she taught the history, or we could even say the herstory, of these drums. And it turned out that women were playing the frame drum all over the ancient world. And it crosses cultures. It's a cross-cultural phenomenon. And so at that point, I gave away the drum set, sold all the other instruments off, and said, I'm going to dedicate myself this instrument for the rest of my life
0: it's so powerful i'm in such a time of my own spiritual transformation where i'm like coming alive to all these things and and sacred drumming has just gotten my attention this the power of sound this the sound of it not even having the practice yet is creating a portal into this transcendent that is really serving me wow yeah i mean i just i it's you know you start talking the tears started coming to me when you start talking about sacred drumming and i just think that it it's going to come more and more to the forefront in our awarenesses of the power of what all does it mean so it's for you it's what's very much tied in with the feminine one of the experiences that i'll have and i end up talking about it in my second book that's coming out numinous love is whispering in our ear is how this portal takes me to my ancestors. It takes me through time. I travel through time through these sacred sounds. Okay, you're nodding. So you know what I'm talking about here. It's so powerful, the sound of it. They're sacred sounds. They are as silences. They are almost like a kind of silence because they silence the noise. So in the sound, We get the gift of what silence gives us does that make sense am i saying that right to you does that resonate with you i i think it's beautiful i've never heard it said enough i can make a sacred sound and it's like takes me back through my feminine art through my own pain in this world and i see it's so powerful sitting with you because your connection to to culture and to all of our ancestors that you have studied and that's so much about it's about the infinity loop and it's about how it ties in with infinite love because we're in the infinity loop with those that have passed before us are they with us i believe they are i can feel their love i can feel their wisdom i can i feel that that is part of that not being alone but the power of sacred drumming to take us out of our own small story and pain and put us in solidarity with the whole world, and with those that have walked before us. And so I just want to bow to you for your sacred drumming and what all that means for you, whatever that offerings that you have. I want to encourage people to explore You know how they can connect deeper with that, of what kind of transformation that that does in their lives.
1: Oh well, yeah, I love how you articulate that it reminds me when you talk about feeling this connection of your ancestors and through time i do think it's crossing a, a time space continuum yes
0: yes and and, and it's, it's okay to say this right because because quantum physics is proving it you know science is going to prove everything we're saying that sounds so we agree with them like of course of course it's like yeah, well, they said it on the podcast in 2018 oh the chair, the chair squeaky it crosses a time barrier psychological time it takes us through a portal there's so much we could say about sacred drum. drumming yeah there's so yeah. much
1: it the, the drum has literally taken me on the most incredible epic journey it has led me places that I
0: am just astounded by and we don't even have time but that's just delicious a- and that would be good for a podcast to talk yeah. about because that is where we're going I mean it, if it creates more awareness if what the infinity loop is about is our ability to be so deeply connected to ourselves that be through yoga embodiment sacred drumming whatever awareness is of the different facets right of the mandala that creates the most awareness in us that makes the most connection and creates an inquiry that's always how do I live in these times? And, and how do I live embodying the wisdom from the ancients? What do they have to tell me and whisper in my ear?
1: Oh, it's beautiful. Um, it reminds me of a quote, and I'm paraphrasing. It's something to the effect of, remind the past to bring it into the present to help heal the future. I love that. I'm wondering if I have heard you say that before. It's Peter Kingsley, and I'm really interested in his work right now. The drum has brought me to Peter Kingsley. Okay, because I'm seeing this very big
0: book on your table. Who is this guy?
1: So he writes a lot about... Some different teachers and the mystery schools of the ancient Greek and Mediterranean okay. origins. It's another place that the drum led me was literally to Greece and taking a group to Crete last summer. We had a, two groups of 25 women, so a total of 50 women came with us. To and this. they all
0: had their drums
1: we actually gifted them each a drum so Uh we had 50 drums sent to Athens awaiting the women when they arrived in circle to receive their sacred drum Mm. and we went and toured the sacred sites to Delphi and to Favrona which is the temple of Artemis and then over to Crete And did some work there with, first of all, initiating them into the sacred drumming practice and yoga and all different kinds of things that went along with that. But it was a sort of a, well, it was an initiation for me personally, but it was also a culmination of 20 years of studying the drum. Mm. And I had seen so many of the images that are connected to the drum and... Studied a lot about the different archaeological finds from that region. And so to go there, I had been to Greece before, but not with the depth of the study that I had this last time that I went. And to go to the museums and see the images in real life that my teacher, Lane Redmond, had shown me again and again. Mm -hmm. So I had just seen these images and I had Mm -hmm. kept reading about them and looking at different references to reference what were the drums, where were they used, how were they used, what was the context of it. And so that's another whole journey that we can go on about what were the ancients really doing when they were using the sacred drum, how was it used. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot to do with that in the Mediterranean and in the areas of uh, old Europe and other areas of the world, a lot in the Middle East and a little bit in India. And We're still tracking where the drum shows up but it, again it's a cross-cultural phenomenon so just to be in Greece and particularly Crete there's a, an amazing ancient culture there that many are probably familiar with the Minoan culture and the sacred sites and the ancient temple complexes there that also can really teach us a lot about what was happening in the ancient culture and how we might apply some of the worldview and ways of being on the, on the earth and with what they would have called Gaia as the goddess. Uh It can teach us a lot about that for our modern times and future. Well, the Minoan particularly was a culture that many believe they didn't have a lot of fortifications there's not a lot of imagery of any kind of war happening for thousands of years and they were a culture that also revered the feminine but it looks to be a very equalitarian society Mm -hmm. where the male and the female were held in equal reverence and Mm -hmm. that's a very beautiful insight that we are now moving into our culture because that is what is happening is we are moving into more equality and co-creation of the masculine and the feminine. Because the feminism is, is rising, it's not at all to negate the masculine. right. Um, he is also rising in even measure with us, even though there has been a suppression and an oppression and an imbalance. The way of the future is that we will be honoring and recognizing that there are differences actually between yeah. men and women or those that identify male or female and there's yeah. a spectrum yeah and there are but there are differences and we are complementary opposites
0: okay let me ask you something when you said that the masculine is rising are you saying we're like the divine masculine the more healed masculine or tell me I more what do you think so that's what so. yeah
1: i think you know yoga has really taught me about these complementary opposites and necessary polarities, the non-dual tantric yes. yoga has really taught me about what that is, what that would look like, what it feels like, what it feels like for myself to be in touch with my own inner masculine yeah. and to reconcile first inside of myself. That was really where I wanted to start with reconciling my relationship to the masculine as well yeah. as to what is feminine. And it's not that we have to over these things, but I think it's a very helpful starting point I do too and the it's language very sharing. informative when we really and also when we really honor the differences yeah I think it's incredible and when we honor the differences, and when when we also see that we are embodied aspects of both, it's the yin and the yang in each of us. Yeah. But yoga is so brilliant in it's really brilliant. showing us how mm. we might relate to more of a balance. That's, this is yoga. What I teach, Hatha Yoga, sun, moon, union. Mm-hmm. It's a metaphor, sun, moon, for as strong a polarity as you can find yeah. and where we find the meeting point and it doesn't homogenize it doesn't even necessarily create androgyny and we can still stay very in a sense distinct is that the word? yeah distinct mm-hmm. in our genders or again there's a spectrum to honor right. that but we right. can stay very distinct in that and still honor just for my you know, use myself as an example when I tune into the inner masculine within me he is steadfast presence yeah he is holding witness. He is that which is unentangled, whereas the feminine is very multiplicitous and like a a web and many facets.
0: What do you think in your work and coaching and teaching of how to create the life or how do you create all these different aspects of the life that really honor who they Mm -hmm. are? Would you say, what is in the way that
1: well, even this question, what I keep asking and going back to, is how great a hand do we have mm-hmm. in really creating a life of conscious design? Mm-hmm. And I think where I'm at with it now, some twenty years later, is that we do have a hand, but we have a measure, but we don't have the ultimate hand. Yeah. And I'm not sure how that goes. Joan. I really appreciate still, you saying that. Still out, right? I love that. Well, it's an inquiry. Your life yeah. is about inquiry. It so, is. Yeah. It's, I, you know, I joke with my students all the time. Anyone who's Ever studying with me for any length of time knows I'm testing theories. Right. That's my
0: main way of moving about. You're playing, which I love what you're saying is that play, which is another part of numinous love, is that it's play. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Because so it's, the tantric says Lila, is the divine play. Oh, I love it. And, and so how do you play with that? And I just think about in your yoga, it's always the question. Um, we're sitting with the question, is this true? And that is needs to be more in society. I mean, that's such a crux to my work of letting go of some of our certitude. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> because we it really holding it in, in a humility of it in in humility in the best sense of the word of the what do i not know what do i not see and so it's like huh what does this look like yeah okay so was back back to the question i asked you of what keeps because i got off track Well, really, you were
1: about. talking about how does one create consciousness? oh no that's and what i love
0: i love that because you actually are challenging a lot of what's on Instagram. It's just like everything in your life you have created. There's a certitude in what they say that how do they know that's true, right? There are so many factors yeah. in play that create this life, and it's the, the I don't know. It's the unknowing. I love that. I can live in the unknown um, because I
1: think there's. I think none of us know. I think really none of us really know. And you know, when people, yeah. So right. um,
0: I, I think it's a feminine quality as well to sit in the unknown and say, I, I don't. This is hitting me so hard. What but you just I, said it is the feminine that can sit there and go. I don't know the numinous. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. In the, yeah. mystery, in, the, in, in the mystery, mystery. in I the mystery i love when you mystery. call it the mystery i mean the mystery school it's it's about the mystery and and what i love about this is glorious expression of this feminine incarnation that you are and unapologetically and yet sturdy like a redwood tree (laughs) so it's got it's integrated with the divine masculine what I think about being conscious Mm -hmm.
1: is really practical and this was revelatory for me which it probably won't be for a lot of people is simple things like goal setting the way I started to look about how do we create some measure of influence in our reality Because I don't know about, I don't know. There was this whole trend towards you create your own reality and magical thinking or however it was. I don't know. I I was like, whoa, what does that mean? And so again, testing theories. But I started to think about it like if you were an architect and you wanted to design a building. And of course, first you would conceive of it in your mind's eye. Mm -hmm. And you would dream about it, and you Mm -hmm. would really use your imagination, and you would go Mm -hmm. deep into your creativity, and you would just imagine it, like, let's say somebody who, you know, really does some big, incredible, like the ancient temples, Mm -hmm. for instance, okay, they were aligned to the solstice. And they moved rocks where we still don't know how they did that without modern equipment. And this was a, someone conceived this, or a group of people conceived this, how they conceived it through meditation or through the mystery schools, we don't know. But there were these amazing, they envisioned these incredible structures, and then they went about gathering the tools and the resources. They could implement. And they (laughs) implemented it. Yeah. And so in a sense, that's what we mean about creating. Right. It's not a magical thinking, like just sit right. there and think about it, and it's going right. to drop and knock, knock. So it's you not, can knocking this. at your door. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to get the group together, or and you're going to have to get the resources and the rocks and the stone and hammer and the nail. It's a discipline. Yeah. Life. Yeah. An intentional life. It's in a disciplined life, but really a big part of the way I want to move through the world is in in feminine flow. In feminine flow, yes. And so what's come later for me, was more about feminine flow, and what's come more later is really creating more structure, which I do analogize to the masculine. And I just love that about the masculine, is that he will say, creates structure, and sort of boundaries and discipline and we can flow within that yeah and he holds this container for us and so then of course we're we're blending that we're yes. taking time where we're you know really disciplined in some study but then we're also relaxing and you know trying to find time to spend with the girlfriends and have tea and do some gardening and then get back to work or go to our job and have that structure but when we're not in the structured environment how are we using that time are Mm. we just being entertained and taking in or are we working with our own shakti our life force energy and using our hands and we're seeing a real renaissance of the primal skills and seed saving gardening weaving pottery Mm. the arts for women and for men it's what makes culture and culture is what also distinguishes us our humanity and we can create a thriving regenerative life enhancing culture i really believe that Mm. well maybe we'll talk about peter kingsley another day and he could really take us down a whole other amazing path of inquiry that has to do a lot with well you know what you just kind of sparked a little um, okay, Give us inspiration. A Just a teaser. Just come on, tease us. A teaser is that his work is really about what the West. Greece in particular, and also areas of southern Italy and Turkey, Anatolia, what was happening back in the day when Western culture was really formulating, and how it was formulated, and that it was formulated with sacred intent, and that we have forgotten and lost some pieces of the original great thinkers that went through the mystery schools, that were often led by priestesses, And were very much again connected to the feminine and to the goddess. And they were receiving insight. And through the mystery schools, they came out honey-tongued orators and poets and scribes, Mm. philosophers.
0: So delicious, I can't stand it.
1: (laughs) So they received this inner this information, this wisdom from in a sense. This great mystery from the creative field. Yeah. In a sense, we say where all great art, literature, poetry comes from. It comes from, in a sense, beyond, and we create the vessel or hone ourselves in order to translate that into our culture, into a work of art or into a philosophy. And what he's pointing at is that this is the origin of Western culture as well as the Eastern culture. See, so we've looked to the East because, in a sense, we've been orphaned as, especially White people, we could say, lost the indigenous roots. There's so yes. much historical people could say about what happened there. Yeah. But in regards to our current time, to be able to look back and reach into the past and realize that the origins
0: of Western culture are based on a sacred philosophy, Oh I love it. Okay, I want to ask you this question. When you think about how do we heal and change ourselves, our relationships and the world? What does that question rise for you? What thoughts are you playing with now?
1: (laughs) To be honest, I'm like, oh, it's so arduous. What an arduous process. And to be in presence with everything that is arising as it is. Yes. And that humans are are messy. We're complicated. We're, we are we are multi dimensional. And I also believe in such a deep innocence of humanity. Mm. And that in the yoga tradition, we say, well, what happens when it, somebody is so you know maybe destructive, for instance, that there is a veiling. It's a revealment and a concealment. And so there's a concealment to that deeper true nature which is essence mm-hmm. and also to being in a state of presence where we can bear witness to what's happening oh, globally gosh. environmentally and then continue to tap into the field of love and the animating energy and there's many 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 different names for what animates this thing and if we could stop arguing about yeah what the name is for what is animating, right we can all agree there's something animating this Yes, but I would love to see that we could just come into more honoring and respecting that it might have a different name, and it might have a different look, but yoga says there is a oneness, and there's a multiplicity of diversity, and that we were actually so diverse to be ultimately unique, I say sometimes like a fingerprint or a snowflake, like you... Krista, Boris, you are absolutely unique in your perspective, given your life history, given your makeup, your genetic makeup, everything about you. It's never going to be repeated, so it is that unique, and yet it is all connected. There's yeah. no way it cannot be connected, because yeah. we're, you know, gaseous exchange, and breath, and the environment, yeah. and the foods we eat, and it goes back. I mean, it's very logical that we're right. all connected. It's not even some, you know, new age Finished. That's the infinity
0: loop, as we were talking, the Love intermind. It. Yes. The, the mind, as Daniel Siegel says, isn't even in us, it's between us, it's in our body, it's not yeah. in our head, it's how we influence that way.
1: To keep coming back to our hearts. Yeah. And yeah. nowadays, especially, to really feel into empathy for mm-hmm. each other. I really think everyone's having a hard time. And I think that there is a possibility that many people are thriving and that both are okay. Yeah. And then in a sense we should honor that in each other all the time. And also just taking picking up what is ours, right? Just what is yours to to do. To carry, to to do to carry. Yeah. And to support each other in each other's unique expressions.
0: Thanks for listening. I'd love to have you subscribe, share, follow, and connect with me further here or at ChristofWorst.com. Until next time, may we all grow in connection, awareness, and inquiry as we live in infinite possibilities.